0: Welcome to the Know Water Methodist Church podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. I'm so glad you're listening to our podcast again, or if this is your first time, I'm glad you're listening to our podcast for the first time. I'm Pastor Jeffrey. I'm the the main guy you're ever going to hear preaching on here until they move me. But uh, I preached this last Sunday, and that's what you're about to listen to. And it was the second half of Paul's letter to Titus. And last week, the previous week, we talked about uh, feminism and family roles and Um, trying to reconstruct kind of a biblical image on that, and then this week we pick up with slavery, and then we talk about systems theory and how a biblical worldview is somewhat different from uh, the neo-Marxist worldview that is so common today. So um, I actually don't talk about neo-Marxism in the sermon, but uh, that's just one of the little tidbits you get for listening to our podcast. Anyway, um, there, there are a lot of sermons that I give that a lot of other pastors could give. This particular sermon is um, deeply conditioned by knowledge I have that a lot of pastors don't have. I've I've read a lot of social theory, and um, anyway, I'd like to think I have a, an informed perspective on such things. Uh, of course, I could be wrong, but I, I hope what I offer here is helpful for uh, deciding. How it is that you want to spend your personal time and energy, and how much of it you want to rail against systems of the world that are unjust, and how much of it you just want to spend on yourself because in the end you can't save anybody else. So uh, that's my little pre-sermon before the main sermon. Enjoy the main sermon. Okay, we have uh, 30 minutes to cover Titus chapter 2 verse 9 through the end of the book it's on page 1856 of your pew bibles if you want to join me there i've i told the guys in jail again this week i'm going on monday evenings remember uh we got a stack of Bibles in the middle and i'll say let's turn to somewhere and they'll just leave the bible there and i say you should never trust a pastor pick up that bible you open that bible make sure what i'm telling you is in there and they all laughed at that because you know you feel like if, if you should be able to trust anybody you should be able to trust a pastor i do not think that's a safe way to go do not trust me verify 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 what's in here is what's in here what it what i say it means is actually what it means last week i i this is a a a book with just three chapters it was a letter it was a personal letter sent from paul to titus titus had been left in the island nation of crete which was part of the roman empire he left him there they had given the gospel but they hadn't built up the churches so he says here's how you build up the churches you need to appoint elders in every town And here's the kind of men that you should appoint as elders. And then it gets into a family household code. He says, teach the old men to behave in this way, the old women to behave this way, so they can instruct the younger women to behave this way and the younger men to behave in this way. And so last week we talked about how uh, that kind of goes against our culture, which um, uh, does not like any kind of arbitrary constraint. We like to believe that you can do anything, you can be anything, and it doesn't matter where you're born or what kind of body you have or how old you are that that all of these things can be determined by our feelings and that nothing constrains us and we find scriptures that they don't even argue about that they just they assume that we are seeking peace not ambition you ever notice how the most ambitious people are often the most unsatisfied you ever notice that that a lot of people just can't be at peace they're just always striving for more they want more they got to have more they got to struggle more the christian faith is not for those who want to be perpetually miserable it's for those who want peace and peace lies not in striving but in having in resting in what we've been given namely salvation in christ jesus so it was talking about different people in different ages how to be at peace in the church you got to have a peaceable church but we cut off right at the end before it got even more challenging, because it's going to talk about slaves. So let's read the paragraph that deals with slaves. This is verses 9 and 10 on page 1856 in your pew Bibles. What does the Bible have to say about slaves? Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So this is the end of what would be called a household code. Old men behave this way. Old women behave this way. Young women behave this way. Young men behave this way. Slaves behave this way. And uh, it, it seems to utilize uh, a hierarchical uh, understanding of how humans are organized. Even so, let's, let's kind of just take the temperature of the room. Does this seem to you to be blessing or saying that slavery is a good thing. Do you get that sense as you read it? I don't. I don't don't think there's any language anywhere in the New Testament saying, you know, you really need a couple slaves, and when you do, here's how you treat it. There's nothing saying that. It just assumes that people have slaves. So why why would that be? I I, I looked up a Thomas Sowell quote this morning. Thomas Sowell, of course, a, 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 a social theorist, Elderly, uh, grew up in Harlem in the 1940s and 50s. Not many people, uh, everybody honors him, but he says some astonishing things. So here's a quote from him. Of all the tragic facts about the history of slavery, the most astonishing to an American today is that although slavery was a worldwide institution for thousands of years, nowhere in the world was slavery a controversial issue prior to the 18th century. That means Nobody even questioned it. Before the 1700s, everybody just, yeah, of course, they're slaves. We have slaves. People of every race and color were enslaved and enslaved others. White people were still being bought and sold as slaves in the Ottoman Empire decades after American blacks were freed. Um, I don't know how many people know this, but the ethnic group the Slavs in Eastern Europe, they're called Slavs because so many of them were slaves. Slave Slav. Um, the, The history of the world is much more complicated and ickier and more miserable than we can appreciate today. We're so privileged, we cannot conceive of a society, thousands of societies across time, that just did not even question whether or not slavery was okay. Jews owned slaves, Christians owned slaves. The Bible doesn't buck that. It just helps Christians be good slaves and slave owners. If you didn't know it, the book Philemon... Is written to a slave owner about his slave, Onesimus, saying, here's how I want you to treat your slave. I actually want you to release your slave. And so that's what abolitionists looked at, different parts in the New Testament, that give honor and power to slaves and say, we're not made to treat one another like chattel. Now, something else about slaves today. Today, there are an estimated 27 million men, women, and children in the world who are enslaved. Today, 2022, 27 million slaves, physically confined or restrained and forced to work or controlled through violence or in some way treated as property. Therefore, there are more slaves today than were seized from Africa. In four centuries of the transatlantic slave trade, and if you didn't know it, 11 million Africans were abducted uh, for slave trade around uh, the world And about 4% of the total, about 450,000 of them, were brought to the United States. The modern commerce and humans rivals illegal drug trafficking in its global reach and in the destruction of lives. Slavery is not just an ancient issue, it's a current issue. And it's not just in poor parts of the world, there are slaves in the United States today. Of course, that's not legal, we fought a war. If you didn't know this, another interesting fact, the Civil War... Um, uh, one person died for every six slaves freed. I think that's how it works out. We paid a price in blood to end slavery, and then so what? What we come to worship, wanting to hear, is this battle that we fought, the Civil War that we fought, needed to be fought, was a righteous battle, and that it was successful in ending slavery. The Bible pushes back on both of these counts. Slavery was uh, across the world, barbaric everywhere. Now, in America, it was unique in the the divide that it created between whites and blacks. By the time it was is over, but chattel slavery throughout history is very common. Man's humanity to inhumanity to man is throughout human history. And the Bible. Did you know that there were slaves in Jesus' day, in Judea, in ancient Rome? How many times did Jesus speak against the institution of slavery? Zero. And in fact, something that's problematic about the Bible is the Bible doesn't speak against any systems. In fact, it says God has ordained the rulers you have over you, so submit to them and obey. And he's not talking about slaves. He's talking to everybody. We talked about this in Romans. Remember? Whenever it was saying Whatever, whoever your ruler, God has put them there to exercise his justice and so be righteous, because if you're righteous, you shouldn't have to fear the state. The state does not bear the sword in vain. That doesn't uh, cohere with an American sensibility. And it sure doesn't cohere with an American sensibility to tell slaves, hey, submit and obey. That does not fit with American sensibilities. The so way you and I were raised, we want to come into a church and hear the pastors say, Clearly, Paul did not understand slavery here. We know better now, it was an evil institution and should be resisted, and in some cases, violently to end. And I'll ask this week, the same question I asked last week about feminism. You know, Feminism took a valid concern, good treatment of women, and then created a bunch of legislation about it. How did that work out for us? Are women in much better shape today than they were before feminism came along? And then we had this war in America over slavery, and how did that work out? Has slavery ended? Now, I I just talked about literal slavery, but when you look at the global economic system, look at how many millions of people are trapped in miserable work situations where they have no way out. No alternatives. And we act like we're separate from it here. Who here buys Nike shoes? Who here buys an iPhone? These things are produced by people in subhuman working conditions, often. A lot of the brands, we we don't wanna know. Don't tell me where my stuff was made, just give it to me cheap. One of the ways, if you think that slavery is wrong, your job is not to pat yourself on the back for being an American and standing on this side of history where you didn't even have to fight that battle. Your job is to make sure that you're not supporting slavery anywhere. And if you're not concerned about what's happening at the southern border, And I know that gets kind of political, but when you look at people, human trafficking on the southern border of our country, there are thousands of sex slaves and otherwise labor slaves coming across the border every day. Maybe not thousands, maybe hundreds. I don't want to be too dramatic, but these are not people that are going to be integrated into the part of society that we all see, and they're going to be in the seedy underground where we don't want to see them, and we don't know about, we don't know how many slaves are in America, because it's not legal, it's hidden. But we sure don't seem to be looking very hard or trying to stop it so i i got to do two things as a pastor one is if you feel clearly that slavery is wrong it ain't over and there's a battle to be fought i'm not going to tell you to be violent but i'm going to tell you look at where you spend your money the point of your money is not to buy the cheapest most convenient stuff it's to glorify god are you glorifying god and the corporations you support that might sound kind of persnickety I think that is, you know, if we're going to be part of a privileged, rich society, we sure better make sure that we're spending our money right. All right, secondly, the, the second thing is the Bible just doesn't seem to be concerned with systems. It doesn't seem to be concerned with ending autocracy and building democracy everywhere. As much as I love democracy as opposed to autocracy, it doesn't seem concerned with communism. It doesn't seem to be concerned with uh, taxation without representation. All of these are worldly concerns. What we want to do is change systems in order to change people. The Bible doesn't play that game. The Bible says, you be changed. You be changed. The whole purpose of this faith thing is so that you can be changed and you can have peace because it's a foregone conclusion, there's no justice in the world and there never was. And the more you get spun up about making justice in the world, the more Satan has you exactly where he wants you because there's not going to be justice in the world. There's not. People go their entire lives trying to build justice in the world, only to find the system's as corrupt as it's ever been. The system doesn't change people. We have to stop listening to Satan telling us to get spun up about all these systems around us. What's going on with you? I like Jordan Peterson. He says, before you try and change the world, go home and clean up your room. Clean up your room. What's what's your mess look like? And what you'll find as you focus on yourself is... You got a lifetime of work right there and whether you be a slave master or a slave or a woman or a child there is something for you to do to exercise submission and obedience and grace and in doing that you are powerful here it says that slaves are powerful what are they doing in verse 10 it says that shows that they have power it says that in every way slaves will make the teaching about god our savior attractive See when you look at slaves with worldly eyes you say they have no power or authority. When you look at people with biblical eyes everybody is made in God's image and are given a role to play in the salvation of others. And if Christians are spending our lives trying to fix other people and make them behave and pass laws for them and bring the hammer down on them, it's not a very attractive gospel. But if you find people that are at peace in themselves and not spun about injustice in the world, and just trying to love and serve others, well that's attractive. That's the way that Christ attracts us. Christ did not end the corrupt systems of his era, but he died for sinners like you and me. And so when you and I are trying to decide how we're going to be in the world, should we be fighting for justice and spun up and miserable and getting people anxious and angry, or should we be peaceable peacemakers? I've already preached on this. You think, You already know, I think we have a corrupt government. I do not like our political system. I don't like our corporate system. I, on a personal level, am very dissatisfied with these things. God does not care about any of my personal beliefs. He cares about my holiness, my purity. Am I growing there or not? I can have every single right political belief. None of that is going to save me. Jesus is going to save me. Am I right with him? And some people will critique this. You know, I remember I read uh, Malcolm X's autobiography in high school, and I loved it. Oh, man, he just spoke to me. He said, Christians, that, the, the reason that they pushed the faith on the slaves is because they gave them a pie-in-the-sky hope for salvation far off so that they wouldn't get spun up here on earth. He said, good Muslims get spun up about what's going on. We fight for justice here and now. And so you, you're, you read that and go, yeah, Christianity does make people complacent with injustice, and it really shouldn't. I think Martin, uh, Malcolm X was wrong. I think Chris—I mean, I think he's right about something. I think it does help us at, be at peace with the world that's inju- unjust. But I think he's wrong that Islam or any other system can solve it. Until Christ comes again in glory, humans are going to be messed up and there is nothing we can do about it. We just get to decide if we're going to be a part of it or not. If we're going to let the world corrupt us or if we're going to be pure as Christ is pure. And you'll see how this is i'm finally going to move on from slavery verse 11 for the grace of god has appeared that offers salvation to all people when it says all people do you, do you think it really means all people yes. absolutely yes salvation is offered to all people it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age that's, that's a key phrase right there in this presentation. Now, a lot of people have this view of holiness like, well, the world is unholy and unjust and we can't really be holy here. We're just going to have to get sucked up and, and do the best we can, choose the lesser of two evils. We're going to get some dirt on our hands. That is not the scriptural perspective. The scriptural standard is you be holy as God is holy. And even though you're in an unholy world, the whole point of this faith, the grace of God, has appeared. And it offers salvation to all people. So what does that look like? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The whole point of life here is saying God's grace appeared so that we can say no to those things. And so we can live self-controlled, not government-controlled, not policy-controlled, not corporate-controlled. Self-controlled, upright, godly lives now in this present age. That's the power that our faith gives us. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope. What's that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's it talking about there? Are we hoping for some future appearing of Jesus? On the day of the Lord, the second coming, the day of final judgment. That's our hope. That's what is orienting our lives. It's not the here and now. It's this future day, and that's what gives us the strength to live holy, pure lives here and now. Verse 14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself. You see that word purify? He desires that we be holy and pure. Purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. And what is good? Submission and obedience to powers and authorities. This is a hard teaching. Verse 15, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. Here, whenever, uh, you can't control other people's feelings. I don't think he's telling him to control. I think he's saying don't let people treat you despitefully. He says you're on a holy mission here. Act holy, be holy, encourage holiness. Don't let anyone treat you like you're uh, a sick sinner. You're not. You're called to be holy and pure in this present age. Chapter 3, remind the people to be subject to rulers. Hey, remember, there's not chapters and verses in the original verse. This was just a letter written by Paul. He didn't divide it up like this. This is just for us to be able to find it when we want it. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. He's not just talking about slaves. He's talking about all of us, all the people in the church, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate. And always to be gentle towards everyone. That's hard for me. I'm not a very gentle man. God's called me to be gentle towards everybody. Slander is a hard thing for a lot of people. They feel, you know, we live in the land of free speech. It's my right to speak evil about whoever. Just because you have a right doesn't mean you should use it. Guard your tongue. Don't speak evil of others. Verse 3. At one time we too were foolish. Disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. So it doesn't, he doesn't kick back against worldly slavery, but he does say all of us are born in spiritual slavery to sin and death. All of us were born slaves, not free. And then when the blood of Christ was applied to us, that's what gives us true freedom. So you can be a slave in this world and free in Christ Jesus. And you can be a free man in this world and yet a slave to evil. At one time, you and I, he's, he's writing the ties. we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That's how we're all born. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. You ever notice that some of the most miserable people in the world cause their own misery? They go through life and, oh, they've got the scrudge against this guy here, this guy here, and you know what? This guy did do, do him wrong in this one, but at the same time, They hate themselves, and they hate other people, and it's just this cycle of misery and hatred. That's the way of this world. The way of Christ is non-retaliation and peace. We do not exercise judgment and authority because we know God will. Our job here is not to hate people. It's to love as Christ loved those who hated him. Verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, this is in the past, when, when did the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appear? What do you think he's talking about there? Okay, maybe when he died on the cross. Maybe that's when it was finally made known. But uh, in the Delaware church, you remember how Miss Penny said, when Jesus came in the flesh, the incarnation? I, he's not, I mean, uh, if he wanted us all to be on the same page, he would say it flat out. But I think he's talking about the incarnation, when Jesus, the eternal word of God, took on flesh, and then I think what happened on the cross showed him for who he was. Before that, they didn't know, but that was him being coronated as king. He saved us, verse 5, not because of the righteous things we had done. This is what I was talking about in my congregational prayer today. He didn't save us because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, right? That proves that he loves us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And if you remember Romans chapter 6, he equates that washing and renewal by the Holy Spirit with dying. At the waters of baptism kill us, and when we're raised again, we're born again in Christ Jesus by water and the Spirit. That's what it's talking about here, the regeneration we have in Christ. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us, this is the Holy Spirit, was poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, So that having been justified by his grace, what's grace? More of you are getting it. The unmerited free gift of God. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. That grace has justified us. Justified means we're guilty of the crime, but we're pronounced innocent. We're made innocent of the crime. We're justified by his grace. We might become heirs. Heirs are people who receive a a promised blessing, right? Remember that we're having hope for a future promised blessing. We are now heirs having the hope of eternal life. So it's talking about hope before. We're hoping for Christ's second coming. Well, that's the day on which we receive eternal life and blessing in his presence. So that's what we're hoping for. This is a trustworthy saying and i want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in god may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good you hear how many times he talks about doing good being ready to do good it's almost like it's really important that we do good remember jesus saying judge a tree by its fruits fruits are people's actions if they're doing good works good and pleasing to god well then the tree is good But if they're not generating any fruit or if the fruit they're generating is bad do not trust them i want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in god may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good these things are excellent and profitable for say that word we live in a culture that loves to find exceptions to the rule anytime you put forward a policy proposal well that doesn't fit for everybody this is a holy policy proposal from God. If you live this way, it's good for everyone, every single person. Otherwise, you're gonna find people going, well, you know, submission, peaceableness, that's good for most people, but my situation is really quite different. And I need to be violent and mean. I need to be cruel. I need, you know, I know it's I know it's bad to, to speak evil, but I really need to speak evil of this guy over here. Everybody is self-justifying. You need to understand this applies to everyone. You're not an exception. Slaves aren't an exception. Now, the, the, we, a lot of people want to act like slave talk is not in the Bible because we are just so turned off to it in this country. But you can't get away from it. You have to lean into it. Knowing the barbarity of slavery, knowing how unjust the system was, what do we have to say about the Bible talking about it and saying anything other than it needs to end and everybody connected to its evil? That's all we want to hear about it. No, it says, even in the midst of that, you can and should be holy. Is that a high standard? If that's not a high standard, I don't know what is. And I speak about it as a privileged person. I've never been anywhere close to slavery. I've never, I I do what I want. I'm a very liberated, I'm a, a, a Western American man. I don't know if I have it in me to obey and submit the way that god expects me to but i'm not going to pretend like that's not the standard is pretending going to get me anywhere good is this just group delusion time where we all come together and go oh we're all doing great oh everybody here is perfect and pure and holy we don't have any work to to do there's no work needs to be done hey let's sit down and have a donut together huh let's just sit down and feel really good let's affirm one another huh Is that what church is? Here, what he's saying is you need to rebuke and correct people. You need to encourage people because the point is transformation. The point is different lives lived. We all come not needing affirmation. We need correction. And when I say we, I really mean we. I am not perfect yet. But I'm not going to grow in holiness if you're not correcting me and I'm not correcting you. If we're not letting the word correct us, if we're just getting together and go, oh, don't worry about that slavery bit. We ended slavery. We don't need to talk about that. Oh, don't don't worry about how we should behave in the house. Worry about it. If you are not bearing good fruit, then your tree is not good. And that means you will not receive that hope of eternal life. You will not receive that hope of Christ coming to, to greet you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will greet you as an enemy. And it doesn't work out well for enemies of Christ. We're the ones here who are saying when Christ comes again, we want to be his servants. We want to be with him. I don't want to be his enemy. Do you? He's made the terms and conditions clear. We should live a certain way here and now in the midst of a corrupt and crooked generation. I'm in a mood today. I could preach for another hour on this, y'all. And I want to, but I'm going to deny myself. You see how that works? I'm going to deny myself. Uh, All right, we're we're in verse 9, thank you. (sighs) But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. This is just practical advice for the church. If there are people in the church that want to come in and stir up controversy about what's in the Bible, major in the minors. So like uh, an example I would use is there are a lot of people that want to come in the church and argue about uh, where are we in the timeline described in Revelation? Has the millennial reign of Christ begun? Are we in the midst of it? Has it ended? Has Christ already come back and gotten some people? If you all want to have that conversation, count me out. If you want to cause division in the church, count me out. There are other churches that divide over speaking in tongues. If you want to divide over that, count me out. There are a number of things that people come in that, that's just their hobby horse. He's saying, don't let people come into the church with their hobby horse. The main, make the main thing the main thing. You know, let's, what I want to do is just have a purifying movement in the church today with people. Do you believe that you were born fallen and sinful or not? Because if you don't believe that, you can't be a Christian. You have no need of Jesus if you're already born, fine. The church is for broken people who need Christ to fix them. That's something worth dividing on. Genealogies, superstitions, myths, it's not worth it. Don't let people divide the church over that stuff. Verse 12, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Necapolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Here, there's that good works thing again, oh my goodness. In order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. If you're reading into that a Protestant work ethic, I'm fine with that. I believe the Protestant work ethic came from scriptures like this. Our lives are not meant to be sat, Living, sitting, watching TV, playing video games, watching movies, scrolling through on social media. We're supposed to be producing things. We're supposed to have transformed lives that produce things. If we have unproductive lives, what's the point of having your faith if it's not doing anything? You know? I have not let myself buy a chainsaw because I'm going to want to use it on everything. And as cool as a chainsaw is, the Christian faith is infinitely cooler. It's supposed to be used, it's supposed to do something, produce something in your lives. People who have the Christian faith and don't share it and don't live differently because of it is like a guy who has a a chainsaw and never uses it. What's he good for? What's it good for? It's nothing. I like that metaphor. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So at the end, he expands it out, not just to Titus, but to the whole crew. We're going to put down Titus and, and uh, do our Advent readings starting next week. We're going to go back to our old order of worship where we have four different readings from a different place. We're, it's going to be a very different worship experience. We're going to do that for Advent and for Christmas. And then we're going to go back to doing things like we've done here What I'm hoping is, we really camped out for a long time on Romans, camped out on Titus. What I'm hoping is, as we come back into sampling other parts of the Bible, that because we've spent the strong time in Romans and Titus, and Philippians, we were in Philippians before that, I hope that you're connecting these dots even more. That as we're doing this, you're going, oh yeah, that reminds me of this passage in Romans. Oh yeah, this reminds me of what Paul said in uh, 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 Philippians. Um, The whole point of this is to stick in our minds transform our lives and you know i do believe that the gospel of jesus christ transforms the world i do but i believe it's a bottom-up effect and not a top-down thing and that was what i was hammering on and that's what i want to end on just a a a question and a reflection we're going to go out into a world that's all about centralizing power at the top and then exercising it on people below i don't think that's how jesus Worked when he came in the flesh. I think that's how it's going to work on the day of judgment. But until then, the way he's given us to live, I believe, is a grassroots movement. I believe we're called to be changed first. And then when we live transformed, change lives, enough of us do that, then the world is changed. And that's actually what happened in the Methodist revival movement. It entered the scene in Great Britain during the Industrial Revolution. It was a miserable, ungodly place. But Methodism, that tradition, grabbed a hold of the hearts of men, transformed men and women in the numbers of thousands, and Methodist and great British society was changed in very practical, very real ways because of the Methodist revival. That's how a true religion works. We're not supposed to be okay or indifferent to injustice. We just need to understand that nothing in this world changes till we are changed. Satan wants us to be spun up about people outside of us, Jesus calls us to be concerned about. Inside of us, I've said it a hundred different ways. That was the last time. Are you all ready to sing and go into the world? Let's stand and sing The Church is One Foundation. Let's just sing verses one and two, number 545.